Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the third episode of Muslims of the Melting Pot. In this new episode, we are talking to none other than Nuri Sardar, who's a familiar face and whose poetry has been read by many of you and many globally around the world as he has recited in mosques and conventions all around the world. Nuri's poetry focuses mainly on the Ahlul Bayt, on divine spirituality, as well as social issues. He has published five poetry books so far, and he's also a filmmaker who's created dozens of documentaries tackling issues affecting Muslim communities in the West. Total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. Because it's the That's only it. religion that acts like the mafia. They're I'm not immigrants. They're, they're invaders. Let they're not immigrants. This clash of civilizations. And if they're not going to learn to assimilate, I don't want to in this country. But hold up. That's not really who we are. Perhaps the American melting pot model is not an accurate depiction of the true Muslim American experience. And perhaps the goal is not to mix. But if it isn't, then what really is? To assimilate or not to assimilate? That's the question. I'm your host, Sara Salimi, and you are watching Muslims of the Melting Pot. Nuri, thank you so much for being a guest on our episode today, and welcome to Muslims of the Melting Pot. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Looking forward to it. One thing I wanted to start with um, is actually a video I saw from you which really stuck with me. For you, you said it's the important thing is really telling stories. So basically to live a life of storytelling. I want to know more about how your personal journey brought you to discovering why you're doing what you're doing. And if you can tell us a little bit more about that. I grew up um, watching film. That was always my escape since I was four years old and my parents used to drop me off at my grandparents' house. I'll never forget, like they had this old VHS tape of uh, Jurassic Park. And I'll basically just watch it over and over again. And the older I get, like the more I'd be obsessed with film. I grew up literally just like having it as my safe space. It's interesting because I feel like there's two types of people when it comes to watching films. There's one uh, demographic of people, which is like, you know, for us, it's entertainment. It's an escape. You know, you come home after a long day, you put on a series or a show and you kind of switch off. For me, it was less of that and more of like an appreciation for the art form and the storytelling. Uh, I think I've always been attracted to stories, you know, stories that leave you reflecting, that leave you thinking. Um, that's always been a, a passion of mine. And I think that's what I found most beautiful about film is that it's a platform where it can force you to dig inside yourself and discover uh, who you are or figure out who you are. And what's also interesting about it is that it's an art form that's not specific to our own kind of community or demographic. I'm sure you know Christopher Nolan movies, but Interstellar is probably one of my favorites because obviously not a Muslim director, but there are certain aspects of certain movies that speak to your soul that go deep and you can recognize that language because it hits at who you are as a person. It raises questions, it instills a sense of movement and thinking and pondering in you. I have to ask you before we move on, who is your favorite director? It's funny because it sounds like he's underrated these days, but for me, it's definitely Steven Spielberg. I'm obsessed with the way he looks at the world, obsessed with his storytelling. It's very idealistic, but it's very patriotic and American, which is funny sometimes, but it's just like, it's very interesting to see. Um, and it's amazing because like the guy is 70, like, like almost hitting 80. And still, when he makes a film, it's still, you know, as unique and as original as you'd expect a young filmmaker to make a film. Spielberg, he can make Jaws and he can make Saving Private Ryan. He can make Jurassic Park. He can make Shinsley's List. You know, it, it, his scope of storytelling is uh is fascinating to me and i think what's also interesting is that like when i hear him speak about the way he grew up on film 
Like I see a lot of that myself. I heard recently that he says that when he left uh, watching Lawrence of Arabia for the first time, he said, I sat on the curb and I cried because I didn't think I could make anything as good as that ever. Uh, yeah. And I feel that all the time. You know, that's something that, that really I struggle with when I'm watching, you know, films that I love uh, and I'm looking at the, the equipment that I have and the budgets that I have to work with and the opportunities that I'm given. It, it really saddens me sometimes that I'm not able to, to have those kind of opportunities, but I try to make the most of what I can, use the opportunities that I am given to do the best that I can with what I have. It's actually quite nice because it means that the, the sky's the limit. I want to also delve into another aspect of your career and who you are, and that's your poetry. There's kind of a feeling or a sense of inner reality that usually comes with authentic work that, that again, speaks to the human nature or the fitra. And there, there are very little words in the English language that can sometimes properly capture exactly what that is. Kind of like the feeling you get when you read a line in a book that shakes you to your core or you listen to poetry that kind of brings out a part of you that you never knew existed or like a spark or an awakening, a sense of movement um, and momentum. There's a sense of tangible spirituality that moves people. And I know your poetry for a lot of people has been like that, where even though it's just words, they combine into something very meaningful and instill a sense of life in the reader because of the content. So we're kind of on the receiving end of that poetry. I want to know as the writer, how has that experience been for you? My poetry for me is, is such a, a cave for me. It's like my, again, my real escape. It's a place where I go to escape uh, or, or be with myself truly. And it's not a space that anyone else can be in, you know? So right. when someone asks me that classic question, oh, so how do you write poetry? Or when did you start? It's like my first inner reaction is like, oh, but that's, that's a very private question. This is, like, this is, <laughs> this is my personal You're space. being like, intrusive. Yeah, you're being intrusive. Like obviously they're not being. And I've learned to kind of like just have a like a pre-prepared answer, which will kind right. of please them. But like in, in reality, it, it's, it's a very personal thing to me. It's become part and parcel of who I am because I've been doing it for so long. This is basically how I express myself. If I'm going through something or I'm uh, going through any sort of emotion, be it good or bad, positive or negative, or, or feeling that I want to serve the Ahabita, that is how I express myself. And I, I'm very, very lucky. I'm very, very lucky and very blessed because for whatever reason, uh, God has given me a sense of tawfiq with my work that it goes very, very far. Like as a prime example, like I, one of my books, I forget which one it was, I think it was the third one. I think I printed like a hundred copies of the book. Um, but I've seen it all over the world. And right. I don't know how, how did you get this? Like uh, there's only a hundred copies. How does that make it? you feel? I'm curious, like seeing your work produced and reproduced in so many different parts of the world. How does that make you feel? It's a huge blessing. Cause like writing is one thing, but having that work reach people across the world, I don't think I... Uh, appreciate it enough i don't think i'm grateful enough for, for, for what i have and the thing is it's so beautiful because it's such a pure art as well in our community you have speakers you have reciters professors you have a lot of people that can like that can go far and impact people and be known but poetry is like that one thing like it's so pure you know no one's like judging your character you have a bit of poetic leeway as well with what you say which is always quite exactly. fun so it's like you know it, it's it, it's a very very blessed place to be in it's like a safe space it's a sanctuary really and i'm very lucky to have it alhamdulillah Right. And one thing you said that reminded me of something I read in, in the book, Secrets of Divine Love, people who think, you know, I have no purpose in this world or I don't know what I should be doing with, you know, the skills I have. One thing that is said is that Allah has bestowed upon all of us unique gifts and talents that if we really look at the deep end of it, there's a reason why we have been given those talents. So, for example, you've been given the talent of storytelling or narration. And one thing you've done with it is, you know, the poetry you've created or the filmmaking you do 
in some ways, each of them are narrating a story in very different but unique ways. And I think that really hits to the deep end of this podcast itself. And it's that idea of Muslim identity in the West and how we have all these like a plethora, like almost an overflow of media and Hollywood and entertainment surrounding us at any given moment. But one thing we really lack is Muslims themselves tapping into the talents they have and using that to produce work that is God-centric and that speaks to Muslims on a much deeper level. And so I'm going to shift a little bit of gears here. And that's something that you've spoken about and written about, an article you wrote for the Muslim Vibe. And it's about the ways in which Muslims are depicted in Hollywood and the entertainment industry, which obviously has an effect on how they're perceived in society the Islamophobia and all of that. And you mentioned in the article that it's almost as if always the good Muslim that's depicted is the subservient one, the one who kind of strips off everything from the hijab to the faith to the devotion and everything. It's like that, you know, typical scene in Hollywood where like the Muslim girl takes off her hijab and the wind of freedom blows through her hair. And ironically, even though it's about freedom, it's essentially the objectification of that woman, which says a lot about how freedom is viewed in this industry. But why do you think it's such a deeply ingrained mindset in the entertainment industry that Muslims are depicted this way? It's funny because like I, I adore Hollywood and I watch films like, you know, it's almost a part of me almost as much as poetry is. But even I like can't escape the fact that unfortunately it, it just seems to be a very demonic and deceptive force, which is really trying to portray Muslims in a very specific way. I don't know, you know, what that is. I don't know if it's just a case of, you know, Hollywood being a very liberal industry as it is, or if it's something very specific and calculated, um, which unfortunately sometimes it feels like it is. I'm not like a conspiracy theorist, but it really does feel like that sometimes. I wrote about this. There's an article you can you can read of mine, why Hollywood is responsible for Islamophobia in America. And I talk about this scene in that film. It's called Patriot's Day. It's about the Boston bombing, right? And this is the worst part. It's a great film. This is what I hate about these films. They're actually phenomenal. A, great, a lot of film. them, yeah. A lot yeah. of them are pretty great films, but yeah, like great film. these subliminal messages sometimes so, in your yeah, face. So, so this is it was even subliminal like like they the, obviously the, the the two bombers are Muslims whatever they had this whole scene where which which isn't historically accurate by the way uh, where one of the guys wives is sitting in the office in the CIA or FBI and the guy and the woman who comes to interview her is a hijab uh, is wearing a hijab she's, she's a Muslim supposedly right. right and she asks her like what are you doing are you disrespecting the prophet and this woman the wife of the terrorist gives a whole like monologue about how the Muslim wife is submissive to her husband. Oh. And therefore, that's why she's happy with, you know, the fact that her husband ki killed innocent people. Which, by the way, is fine. But, no rebuttal. What happens? She, the woman comes out, she takes off her hijab, the FBI woman takes off her hijab, showing that she wasn't a Muslim the whole time. Of and then you have, you have John Goodman, you know, the actor saying, what would make a woman do this? He has that expression. And the film continues on. It's like, that's not like, oh, that's not, that's not, it's not, it's not, oh, we're doing this for the story or for the characters. That's something very calculated. Absolutely. That's something, no, we're doing this specifically to show Islam in a bad light. Um, and then, like you said, we have another side of it, which is why I like Midnight Mass, um, where Muslims are also, they're good if they're subservient or they're just, you know, not really religious, which I don't like. You also have the objectification and the sexualization of hijabi women, which is becoming very, very worrying. And again, like, I want to be very clear. So what I said in my article about Midnight Mass is I don't want Muslim characters who aren't flawed. We're all flawed. That's the point of film. You watch characters that are flawed. You know, you watch characters that are, make mistakes. You watch characters that are even not, even not religious. That's fine. I don't care about that. Yeah. But the problem is, it's usually like the struggle is that they are Islam. Mm -hmm. And usually when they let go of their Islam a bit, they become a hero. And that's what really frustrates me. 
Yeah, so exactly like you said, that character development a lot of times is focused on the wrong areas. Like you said, it's like the only times or most of the times devout Muslims are seen practicing their faith or like saying, you know, Allahu Akbar is right before they're about to like bomb a place. Yeah, Not so like, because, I you know, remember I was watching United 93. Uh, it's about the, the plane that crashed 9-11 uh, into the, the one the, when the passengers took it over. I watched the first five minutes of this film. It starts with the Adhan. They're praying. And it's like they dedicate five. I had to turn it off. I was like, this is nonsense. Absolute nonsense. And I think another aspect that leads us into the next question is also one of the reasons why maybe we have a lot of that negative perception about Muslims. And I would say, especially for Muslim girls, I think seeing a lot of the ways in which Muslim women are represented, a lot of times contributes to the doubts they have about their faith. Because they see that, oh, if I'm normalizing everything that's being normalized in this show, and there's a lot of Muslim girls doing it as well, I'm going to feel left out if I'm not also moving along in that same direction. And I think one of the reasons this might be happening is that we do have a lack of Muslim directors and Muslim filmmakers. I'm not saying at the level of Hollywood, obviously, but even just the bare minimum of having filmmaking and media and, you know, original content created that does show it the right way, that does further the true Muslim narrative in the right ways in creative, entertaining, but also accurate ways. Do you think that that's possible? And what are some ways you think that Muslims can reclaim that narrative? Yeah, it's very possible and it's much needed as well. There's a few up and coming filmmakers in our community that I've seen. I can't name all of them. And it, it's really wonderful to see. I like to see us move into Hollywood and move into the professional world because I feel like, and this is a big discussion in, in and of itself, we're very good at doing work within our own circles, uh, which is good. But the problem and the challenge is, uh, with it is always going to be that you're limited because you're A, preaching to the crowd, and you're B, working with budgets that are not good enough. The biggest challenge with it is that it's not, you're not working to an industry standard. Right. And that, which is the reason now, for example, when I'm doing work for clients now, and they're from our community, it's, oh yeah, just turn up on, at 5 p.m., you know, we'll start recording at 5, 10. It's like, no, bro, I need to come and scout for a day. I'm bringing 10 bags. I need three hours to prepare. Our awareness to how professional productions are actually done outside of our community is very abysmal. What I would rather do is work to a professional standard and then come back and just do the things that I believe are for religion or storytelling in our community for fun. And that's one of my biggest uh, lessons, you know? Yeah. I do get it in that sense. But one thing I want to ask you is kind of the nature of, I wouldn't say just Hollywood, but the entertainment industry, the music industry, industries that are kind of solely led as a business and kind of money is the first line of priority that comes with them. I do agree that Muslims should get high up there. But a lot of times what we see is that the higher you move up, the more you have to compromise, whether it's your values or what you stand for or, you know, budgeting starts to change loyalties for a lot of people because it's like the direction that these movies are going in has a lot of a lot of the influence comes from who's paying for it. What's something that you would say to that? I think it's important for Muslims to be present as well in Hollywood. But do you think there's more impact or value in kind of joining an industry that probably will never change its direction in terms of morality or the business-oriented mindset? Or do you think there's more impact in something that's possibly lower scale, but um, more moral and virtuous and principled in nature? So it's actually quite funny because um, when they passed the, uh, I think it was the, the Gay Marriage Act or something like that, they asked Joe Biden, like, what changed your perspective on homosexual relationships? And he said, Will and Grace. Will and Grace is a sitcom, you know, that we've all seen it on TV growing up. And uh, I remember Rosa Hassan was saying, he's like, everyone laughed at him. Joe Biden being Joe Biden, but he was 100% right. It's work like that 
that makes actual impact on the perceptions of actual Americans. You know, 100 million people watched Big Bang Theory, for example. You put Muslim characters in that show, they're going to change their perceptions. Now, in terms of how we do it and compromising, I feel like all that talk is secondary because Mm -hmm. I feel like growing up, if I had seen Muslim characters in Jurassic Park and films that I love, uh, I would have a very different perception of myself, let alone me as a non-Muslim having a different perception of Muslims. Again, I'm saying as someone who's worked in religious media all their life, it's good work. It's very good work. It can have impact, but you cannot match the impact that you can have in mainstream media. I also think that we think of, you know, the Hollywood industry as this big one, big devil. But it's like, it's it's a very complicated, huge industry. You have indie films, you have blockbuster films, you have, there's a million production companies, there's a billion producers and filmmakers all doing their own thing and making the story they want to tell. And I feel like if, if, as a Muslim, you have, you're showing your value as a filmmaker in a world that's driven by money, as long as you can make the business money, I don't think they're too worried about pushing uh, agendas. And and, and the more voices you have, uh, the more you push a narrative to one way. Uh, and we're seeing that there are a few like Muslim filmmakers in Hollywood that are just making stories, not necessarily Muslim stories. But the fact that they're there, I think, is very important. The fact that they're working to an industry standard and have platforms that are seen by the world, I think, it, it is very important. I'm not saying like community-led work is, is is not important. I think it very is. It is. I used to work at Muslim Vibe. I worked at Hilbay TV. I've I've done my time, is what I'm saying. I, I get it. But like, there's also a conversation of okay, if we spend seven years doing that. Imagine we spent seven years. Imagine I spent seven years trying to get into Hollywood instead. I think about this a lot. Yeah. I was like, imagine where I'd be now and what impact I could have. I've always been ends is the most important place to be kind of person. I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying that ends justify the means. I'm not saying <laughs> that's, that's, that's a free for all. Well, that definitely know, sounds you know? like you're saying that, not even <laughs> but, 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 but what I'm saying is that I'm always focused on what's more important, winning the battle. That's mm-hmm. my focus. And maybe it's my character. Maybe it's the way I was raised, but I, I'm happy to take I don't want to say concessions, but I'm happy to do things that are in the gray, not in the black, in the gray to get mm-hmm. there. The gray is a place where I live and I thrive, by the way. And this is why I have a lot of arguments with my friends who work in religious media. Uh, because like, I get what you're saying, you've got to be careful, but the whole point of media is to not be careful. So how do you bring a very cautious, oh, be careful mentality, let's get everything we're filming checked by the sheikh, you know, make sure that this hair is not showing and, and that kind of stuff. How do you get that and then put it in a world where media is like, no, we're pushing boundaries. We're telling stories that are pushing boundaries. It's not even just filmmaking. It's in every industry. I don't think it's just filmmaking. Any industry where you do have to push those boundaries to get the voice out, you are going to face those gray zones. Now, some people are more careful about the gray zones because it's more about how do I react to those areas where I'm not sure? And what does that say about what I hold most important to me? Because obviously Mm. the decisions we make when it comes to those gray zones are usually who, what define us as a person, right? That's true. But I think it's not just about if this much hair is showing or not. It's more about when you that go into a joke, by the way. Large... I mean, like a joke about... Right, exactly. So, I mean, like, it's not in those nitty-gritty details a lot of times. It's mostly about the decisions you make on the way to get that publicity, right? So I think with Hollywood especially, a lot of people, what they're concerned about is, okay, if I land, let's say, a really large budget and I want to make a movie and the person who is funding is asking me to portray a certain character in this way. And that might be contrary to what I really want to portray. So like what you were saying, let's say you want to show Muslims in a certain light, but you are told that, you know, this is how I want it to look like versus the way that you would like to. Since the nature of money is dragging people in areas where they might not necessarily have found themselves originally if they were doing more grassroots work, that's where the struggle is. It's like when it comes to that moment, what decision am I going to make? I mean, also, also keep in mind, like, like those debates aren't limited to Muslims in working in the industry. Like in every film, you have that argument mm-hmm. between the director and the executives. 
about what they're trying to push and, and what the directors want to push. And a lot of times you see films that are horrible and the director's like, well, the, the, the version that I made was better, but the studio ruined it, you know? So right. I think like it's a fight nonetheless, but unless we're there in that fight, I feel like it, it's a conversation that's it, it, it's very theoretical and I want that conversation to be more practical. I want Absolutely. to see examples of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And speaking practically, this kind of will wrap up our discussion, but what I really want to end with is what you did with the Shia in America. I think for me specifically, when I watch that series, it's probably one of the most inspiring series I've seen. And the reason for that is because I've never seen it covered. I've never seen it discussed. And as Shia in America, you almost have no idea how those roots were started. The founders, the pioneers, there were multiple parts in that documentary series where there were tears brought to my eyes because of how authentic and how real those conversations with your interviewees were. And I want to know from your own words, tell us a little bit more about that process in terms of how it came to be and how you were able to make it become what it is. I had the idea for it, I think it must have been 2015. So years ago, when I first heard, because I'm from the UK, obviously, now, now I live in the States. But when I first heard that there was Shia in America in the late 1800s, I was like, what? What do you mean? How does that, that doesn't make any sense. Like, what are you talking right. about? I don't know. You know, they came, they came to work at Ford and, all, and, and you know, the people tell me the whole story. I was like, there's a story here. There's, this needs to be documented. And it was a long process in trying to get that story told. No one wanted to make it. And this is my biggest gripe with religious media. I pitched the idea to so many people. So many people, no one was interested. I realized, and it sounds really bad to say, but I've realized like when, like, I feel like a lot of organizations, they'll push narratives that benefit them and Absolutely. not narratives that I feel are important. Uh, I wish I had a bigger budget for it. I wish I could have done more with it. But unfortunately, no one believed it. And it's funny because I remember Najah Bezi, she sent me a two-minute voice note after she saw the trailer and she was in tears. She goes, I wish I supported you more with your vision. It was um, probably one of the most valuable pieces of work. And I think... It's so undervalued in the it's, Muslim yeah, community. That's my biggest gripe. It's undervalued. And the reason that I'm, I'm pushing this is because I have more ideas, which I want to do. And despite having made that, I can't find backers and donors to, to fund it. And this is my biggest gripe. And the fact that I have to go out again, my own pocket, my own credit card, and tell you stories myself with my own money is, it's not acceptable. It's very upsetting. It's very upsetting to me. It, it, it makes me feel undervalued. It makes my craft feel undervalued. And again, it's about what we're focusing our attention and our energy on. I don't want to put people down. I understand there's a lot of, you know, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of perspectives on, on, on how we spend our money as a community and what we invest in. To me, it's like storytelling is the most valuable thing. It can literally change a country. Like how many That's people so. from our community saw that and felt at home in this country after watching that and okay. had no idea about the, this story? You know, that's the power of storytelling. What you're saying is absolutely true. And one thing that makes me think of is a lot of times with some communities where we're complaining about why aren't we more attentive to our issues? Why aren't we more proud of our identity? But when it comes to actually investing in work that does show that identity, we can't really expect to receive that greater support when we can't support our, our own 100%. filmmakers, our own yeah. people who are doing that and who are investing their own money and their own time into it. But I would say the impact that your work has even on a few people. Now, I know for, for the Shia in America, it was definitely more than a few people, but I think a lot of times those few people that it really does impact and inside them, it creates a sense of, I want to do something for my community as well. I want to be that person who used from my talents and does something for the greater community and for the greater ummah. I think over time that builds up. And I think what you're saying yeah. is true. It creates a sense of urgency where we have all these voices and we have all this talent that has gone untapped into, and it creates a sense of movement where you're like, I want to do more. Yeah. I think we have the talent. The fact that money is the biggest 
burden is ridiculous because yeah. our community has enough money. The issue is where that money is going and how it's being spent. And that's why I, I'm very skeptical about the idea of, of internal religious media. Right. Because again, I'm sure you know at, at, what you do at TMJ, we face that Muslim vibe as well. You're chasing donations and you're just, you're almost trying to reach a ceiling that you're never going to reach. And that's personally the reason why I stepped away from that stuff uh, and just, you know, decided to, to work on stuff that I enjoy and commercial work because I'm like, I've served my dues. You know, I worked at Elbate TV for seven years. I worked at Muslim Vibe for five years. You know, I think it's time for me to to, to work. We're going to see you on Hollywood soon, probably. That's what you're trying to tell us. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But the thing is, like, for me, religious work, and again, this whole conversation, is I push that to a passion as opposed right. to a way of life. Um, is that good or bad? I don't know. It's, it's a debate. But I'd rather be in a place where I'm doing commercial work, uh, where I can fund myself, and then on the side, I can do religious work for fun. I not have to chase, you know, donors and beg organizations to, to, to fund right. it. It's important because there's so much creative talent in our community. And the most important thing, you know, I, I think we need to reframe the way we look at media. Well, yeah, and exactly. I see that a lot in what you mentioned about mosques and youth groups, especially, is that a lot of times we're forgetting that our real investment into the future are the youth of our centers. And they have so much of that talent where if we're not supporting them and, and if we're not as mosque leaders and community leaders and youth group leaders, investing in the talent that our youth and our community members have, they will take their talents somewhere else. It's not going to help the community grow. They will take their talents where they feel that they're more appreciated and more seen and more, you know, helped and, you know, contributing to their own professional and personal growth. And I think yeah. that's an area our communities are not doing very well in. What do you think can change that? Just look for your hair and chase it. If your communities are supporting you, find someone who will. Even me, for example, as someone who recites, like for a while, I felt like I wasn't being given opportunities to recite in certain places. So I, I, I started posting on Instagram more. I started, you know, using what I have at my disposal, my social media, for example, the, the fact that I can make tracks or make videos myself. I use those talents to push out my, my art. And I see khair in that, which is better for me because I don't have to rely on anyone. That's the reason I don't work for a specific organization, but I, I freelance because I have one connection uh, to one provider and that's God. That's it, no one else. I'm not relying on a salary to pay me. I'm not relying on a company to pay me. I, I had this conversation with God the other day and I can't believe I'm saying it on your podcast. But I was like, you know what, God, I'm done chasing money. You're paying me now. This exactly. is a contract between me and you. You're going to pay me. I'm not chasing you again. You pay me and that's it. So I can do things that you want me to do. That's it. You know, I'll exactly. get the projects that you want me to, to take. And exactly. that, that's where I am right now. I'm like, you know what? I'm just surrendering myself to God's plan. And that's how you're going to live a very content and happy life. I don't have a message for communities that are undervaluing people because unfortunately, if you're going to undervalue someone, I can't exactly. help you. You know, no, no one right. can help you. You do what you do. The people with talent are going to succeed whether you support them or not. Yeah, exactly. the only question you have is whether you're not whether or not you want to be on their journey with them. That's it. So one last question, and that's about especially youth who are looking to get into careers that are in filmmaking, journalism, anything creative related. A lot of times the kind of dilemma that they face is exactly what you said, the funding, the money. They want to do really good, meaningful, valuable work, but they don't find that the audience or the support is there for it. So for people who want to go into these careers... What would you say should be the most important things they look into or think about? So a few things. One, I would say is we're in a very lucky time where you don't need a lot of money to create. Uh, cameras are very affordable. You can shoot things on your iPhone. All you need to do is focus on making sure it's of a certain standard. I feel like as the way we look at media and film, I feel like we need to take our minds out of the East and put it into the West. Like one prime example I'll, I'll give you is any film you've seen, for example, about Karbala that's been produced in the East. God bless their work. But think about the cinematography of it. 
Oh, it's a bright sunny day. Everyone's wearing bright green clothes. It, it looks a bit... Now, compare that to a battle scene in a film you've seen on Netflix. You know, think about the dust that flies everywhere, the darkness of it, the smoke, the blood. Like, war is a very dark, claustrophobic thing. That's right. how Kabbalah should be depicted, right? Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is put your mindset, number one, into the Western mindset. When it comes to media, I say that time and time again. Like, right. Regardless of how you see yourself in your identity, if you're making media in this country, you need to put yourself into a Western mindset because you have to compete with industry standard. The third thing is watch as much film, TV, and documentaries as you can. Right. I think that's very important. There's a lot of times I want to go in courses and stuff. Like, you know what? My best course is Hollywood. Let me watch Better Call Saul again. Let me look at the lighting. Let me look mm -hmm. at the storytelling. Let me look at the way they frame the uh, the characters. Let me watch this exactly. show. Let me see how, how they're lighting it, how they're framing it. Let me learn from that, right? And the last thing I would say is everything's on YouTube. Everything. You want to learn how to use a camera, how to use a lens, how to tell a story, how to write a script. You can find everything on YouTube. Just spend hours on YouTube, hone your theory, and then hone your craft through your practice. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time for being with us on this interview. I think what you said, especially for the youth, I think for people who are looking to get into this field is really valuable. And inshallah, we will see the fruits of all of this in, in the near future. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. And thank you all for joining us in this third episode of Muslims of the Melting Pot. We hope you benefited from the conversation and we look forward to having you join for future ones. Salaamu Alaikum.